personally, I have experienced this myself, not being heard, just being dismissed and shut down, just because the healthcare provider I was speaking to was just not able to see things from my perspective and was were just clouded by their own personal bias. Welcome back to the Speaking and Communicating Podcast. I am your host, Roberta. If you are looking to improve your communication skills, both professionally and personally, this is the podcast you should be tuning into. Communication and soft skills are crucial in your career growth and leadership development. Whether you're about to speak in public, make presentations at work, pitch to investors or an entrepreneur looking to showcase their innovation to a wider audience, you'd be glad you joined us. The Speaking and Communicating Podcast is part of the B Podcast Network, which is a centralized hub that helps listeners become their best selves at work and in life. To learn more about the B Podcast Network, go to bpodcastnetwork.com. Let's get communicating. My guest today, we share a similar background in that we teach English to non-English speaking nationals. Today, Shweta Ramkumar, who has a background in both education and healthcare, is here to tell us about her business, which helps healthcare professionals who are from ESL countries on improving their communication skills, especially with patients and their colleagues. And before I go any further, please help me welcome her to the show. Hi, Shweta. Hi, Roberta. It's a real uh, privilege and honor to be here. Thank you very much for uh, giving me the opportunity to speak at your podcast. Thank you for being here. Welcome to the show. And we are glad for you to be here because even though we've touched a little bit on the healthcare professional side, when it comes to communication skills and soft skills, We haven't delved as deep as you would today, so I'm looking forward to our conversation. But before we get into that, please tell us a little bit about yourself. So my name is Shweta. I am based in Melbourne, Australia. I have lived here for the past uh, 21 years. And as you mentioned previously, I have worked almost all my life in both the education and healthcare space. And the business of mine that I launched a couple of months ago, it's a coaching practice. It's called Healthy Dynamics a name that I came up with, you know, pretty much at the spur of the moment. And uh, that really focuses on helping healthcare professionals from non-English speaking backgrounds, so whose English is not their first language, improve not just their grammar, vocabulary, and all the mechanics of the English language, but predominantly their communication skills. So like you mentioned in your podcast, the soft skills, it's with the focus of not only helping them become more authentic in terms of their self-expression, but also to build the relationship that they should have of trust and credibility with their patients, as well as in the workplace, for them to achieve that excellence and really stand out in the workplace and get better opportunities for themselves. So it focuses not only on people who are based in non-English speaking countries, but also the ones who are relocating or considering relocating or living in English-speaking countries such as myself, Canada, US. It is open to everyone in that space. What made you decide that you were going to coach specifically that niche? So I have been in the ESL space and uh, what I really gathered is that when they are trying to 
sort of speak and communicate, I think the focus, they get very conscious and the focus really is on how do I say this grammatically correctly? What vocabulary do I use? What is the sentence structure? So they get very caught up in all that. And the ability to really be themselves, speak up in their own authentic way, sort of falls behind the, uh, behind the lines in some way. Even though they may have achieved a certain level of that whole structure of how what makes non-English speaker intermediate to advanced or elementary to intermediate or whatever. And they have all the tools in order to sort of converse in that space. Because the, the focus is so much on that, that element of how to actually communicate in a way that has empathy, that has active listening, things that I talk about and I train my clients on, that I felt, found was significantly missing. And, after, and my work in healthcare over the years as well, and because I spoke all the time to patients, that's what they used to tell me, that I don't want to be seen by this particular doctor who has this type of accent or that accent was not really the problem. The problem was they were speaking in a way that was the patient was not understanding and was really not demonstrating skills that showed that they were listening and they cared about the patient genuinely. It was just like they were just going through the list of things, things to tick off and going through that sort of cycle of patients, you know, every single day. So I felt that it's a bit of an untapped market. And because I have experience in both spaces, this sort of married both of them up quite well. And also, I felt like, as I said, it is an untapped market, which people can really benefit from. And I think especially since COVID and now where people are now, even if they can go to healthcare professionals, they are opting for telehealth more often than not. And they are, and we're getting therapy and all that from people from other countries in the world. And we are living in a culturally and linguistically diverse world. So I felt that that people could really benefit from all this. And also, it, it sort of plays well with what I'm good at as well, which is obviously teaching. You know, it's interesting. First of all, I would like to say also, as I said, we share the same ESL background. One thing I noticed in Far Eastern countries is that because test scores and excelling on those is such a high priority, that is why even as they grow up and they enter the workspace, when they in English environments, that's why the obsession over having perfect grammar or not talk at all sometimes is the reason because it's always the high test scores and high test scores be perfect in the grammar and Mm -hmm. then secondly I had a guest who she taught in Japan I think and her Mm -hmm. podcast their motto is connection not perfection because they also focus on ESL Don't be stressed about perfect grammar and sounding like a native speaker. That is not the goal. The goal is for you to genuinely, authentically express yourself and connect with the other person. So if they are so stressed about the grammar and saying things perfectly and just listing whatever is wrong to the patient. So I think that's why patients don't feel connected. Mm -hmm. Yes. Because the healthcare professional is so stressed about, I want to sound perfect. Hence, all those things you've mentioned feel like they are missing in their part of the conversation. Yeah. And also, I think, and I do appreciate that healthcare professionals have a very difficult and a very stressful and tough job. Mm. And they're always busy and they're under a lot of pressure. So for them, the way that they work is that they just want to get rid of, you know, you know they get like 10 minutes uh, or a very short amount of time with a patient 
little bit of time, they have they're having to do a billion things. You know, mm. they're having to take notes. If you're a technician, for example, in the radiology space, you're having to do the scan thoroughly and you know set up the machine currently. Again, that pressure of multitasking and doing things in a timely manner and being efficient, that also sometimes can be a roadblock in uh, really building that trust and connection with the patient. So I do appreciate that. I mean, I couldn't do the job of a clinician or someone in the clinical space. It's very hard. And what I do see is that patients always in, from, in my past roles and all that, my patients have said to me that they want to go to this particular provider over another one only because they feel heard, they feel validated, they, are, they feel understood, and they feel respected, which others don't really tend to do. So, And I myself am like that. So I will be starting therapy for mm. myself. And I also had to go through the whole process of finding the right therapist who would be a good match. It came with a lot of trial and error, and I was looking for the same things. And uh, I have fortunately found a good, valid, good therapist that I, who I connect really well with, who's been on a similar journey as me. So I'm looking forward to starting that experience with her. But I, when I put myself in the patient's shoes, I can completely see where they're coming from. I hear you, and I do as well try to put myself in the patient's shoes, as you explained, in this scenario. But also when I think about the ESL professionals in that same scenario, this thing of feeling heard and validated and connection I think there's a, a cultural element there that's different as well. Sure, yes. If I want to validate you and your feelings, you know how sometimes they even have those trainings where they say, Shweta, you're really upset, aren't you? So I'm validating mm-hmm. your feelings right now mm-hmm. before whether I come with the solution or whatever it is. So we've been trained, we've been brought up, we've been socialized into being that way invalidating people's feelings and making them feel heard mm-hmm. in contrast to i can only speak for south korea that's where i was I, I don't know about the other countries but in contrast to i don't think that that's usually how they do it there yes i understand the patient's pain but that person from those countries who's just doing their work they are not intentionally saying, I'm not going to take time to validate this person. I'm just doing my job and then they must get out of my office and I see the next patient. You know what I mean? Because yes, they haven't had yeah. that level of socialization and coaching and being a cultural norm to validate people's feelings yes. and saying expressions and using words and phrases that make them feel heard. That's a cultural difference, no? Huge. Yeah, and... Again, going back to the cultural aspect, and I do talk about this in one of my past video series, but I did mention of respect. And this is particularly evident in the culture that I grew up in, which was India, and also some of the Southern Asian and Southeast Asian cultures, that the social hierarchy and the professional hierarchy plays a big part in how patients view healthcare providers and how healthcare providers interact with patients. So in these sort of countries, healthcare providers, particularly doctors, are put up on a pedestal and they're literally worshipped. But at the same time, the doctor or the healthcare provider, whoever it is, I have to stop consciously saying doctor because that's something that my audience has actually asked me that, you know, my my content is very focused for doctors and it's not. Anyone in the clinical space who works with patients, they can get something out of it. But anyway, they, again, they sort of bring their own biases in some way. So if, for example, if they're, say, in the gynecology space, so doing a scan or a test on a female patient. And I went through this myself. 
uh, you know, a couple of years ago when I was having an ultrasound of my pelvis. My sonographer was this Chinese guy. And he could see in my script from the doctor that this is why the scan is needed. And the first thing he asks me is that, are you having this scan because you're planning to get pregnant? That's just an assumption that there's no evidence for it. He just assumed because in, the, in their mind, the assumption is, just as an example, that women do all these kind of tests or female patients because every woman wants to have a child. Again, and this is just one of the many assumptions that people tend to have. And that's to do with how they are brought up in their cultures, the values, the beliefs that they're instilled in their culture about different things. And going back into the mental health space, again, even though you have psychologists, psychiatrists, therapists and everything, they can also be like that. Personally, I have experienced this myself, that not being heard, just being dismissed and shut down, just because the healthcare provider I was speaking to was just not able to see things from my perspective and was were just clouded by their own personal bias and conditioning, whether it's professionally or socially or culturally, that led to that disconnect quite often. They, they seem to have a very narrow kind of view of what the patient is, what they're looking for. And, and there is a tendency that they tend to have more of a cookie cutter approach, I would say. So they, every patient is the same. They have to get the same treatment. They have to be done in a different And I always mention this, that every patient is unique, like just like every individual is unique. So what works for one is not going to necessarily work for the other person. And that is something that I also emphasize on, that you have to treat each patient, see them from a unique set of lens every single time. So it's a new experience every time. It's interesting you put in the R-E-S-P-E-C-T because <laughs> one thing I used to admire and truly enjoyed about teaching Korean kids and also some professionals sometimes was respect is literally number one in the culture. That's why they have teachers there. They show so much appreciation for teachers. So that's respect number one. It's it's really big in their culture. And then secondly, the hierarchy of who's older and you respect the older person. Yes, that has its pros and cons. Like for instance, one of the cons is if the older person is wrong, which sometimes they are, is yes. you cannot challenge mm-hmm. them due to the mm. respect element, right? Yes. So that works in South Korea. However, mm-hmm. if now you go to Australia as a Korean person, it's going to be a different culture, first of all. Respect. If the Australian patient feels like they are being disrespected and their feelings are not validated, my argument would be I don't think the Korean professional is seeing that as disrespect. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. Sufficiently yes. exposed to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Also, the biases as well. Okay. I'm not sure about the healthcare perspective of every patient is the same and everything, and how, when they are being trained, obviously, they've never been to medical school, how they are being trained mm-hmm. in Korea versus when they now go to work in Australia. If that is part of the training of, you know, see each person is a different Because again, like I said earlier, in Western countries, we are socialized that way. Every child is unique. If we have four kids, even parents are taught to see their four kids as all different, unique individuals and everything, mm. which yes. I may not have been aware of, but I don't think that in Korean culture that was emphasized enough. So I'm wondering where do we find the common ground between the patient thinking, this doctor is disrespecting me versus 
they are just not aware or they are not socialized in the way that I expect if I have a healthcare professional taking care of me. You bring up a good point there because, and I, again, this is what I've experienced. I think when patients go rock up to any kind of healthcare space, they are already in a fragile state of mind. They are already very vulnerable and they're quite anxious and they are looking for solutions and they are looking to be heard and they're looking to be validated and they're looking to be respected and uh, cared for. And ultimately they want to be in a better place. So because they have so much in their mind, they are not able to see the fact that, okay, this particular healthcare provider doesn't have that experience because they may have recently moved to the country and they're not really aware of the nuances or things like that or whatever. What they will do is that then they will tell me or whoever it is, or they'll tell their family and friends, I don't want to go to this particular person and they'll just blame it on the accent, you know, because I can't understand what they're saying. Or this healthcare provider does not really care, does not listen to me. And they'll put it that way. But when I hear that, I see what they mean. I see the deeper side of where they're coming from with this. That particular healthcare provider is unaware and, and probably doesn't emphasize on the fact that their knowledge and their experience is not really the only way that's going to make them successful. And I too mentioned, uh, I think it was a while ago, I did a live stream with another friend of mine, uh, Corny, who's also in the healthcare space. She's a therapist. We both got talking about the definition of professionalism. And that actually inspired me to make a post on my LinkedIn about what professionalism is in the healthcare space. Now, there's a TV show, Doctor in the House, so this one doctor, British guy, Asian British guy, uh, Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, obviously he's a, he's a GP, and yeah. but he had, we wanted to actually go and live with the patients and, and things like that. When I learned more about what he does, he has his books, he has a podcast, and he has a YouTube channel. When I remember watching that show, and I watched, because I watched it on YouTube, every comment that said he is such a kind-hearted, caring, compassionate person who really listens. And this was despite him. Yes, he has his accolades. He has his uh, MBBS or whatever. And he was not somebody who was walking around with a white coat and a stethoscope or wearing a suit. He was just wearing casual clothes like I am. And that's what professionalism now is. It's not about what, how you present yourself externally and saying the right things. It's all these elements that, you know, you treat every patient uniquely. You are able to listen to them actively. You are able to validate them. You're showing genuine empathy and compassion, and uh, you are not you're, not you're not pigeonholing them. You're not putting in the, them in the same box. That is what we both agreed on. That that's what professional is in nowadays, and that's what people really need. Not just patients, but people in general. They want more authenticity. They want more realness and the, the human side, rather than just hiding behind the degrees and accolades and the work experience and everything like that. Yeah, that was quite a profound thing that I encountered. Mm -hmm. You just summed up the very foundation of our show, <laughs> the soft skills. And the funny thing is we usually talk about them in the concept of the workplace, the office. But yes, I can see how they apply in the healthcare space as well. Earlier, you talked about how, you know, they asked the question like, you know, are you looking to get pregnant? Is there sometimes, like, you know, a patient file? I want to mm -hmm. know not just what you're suffering with right now so we can heal that. But if you're going to come back and be my regular patient, you know, like you have your family doctor, like we're growing up. Like I want to know your long-term health plans. Mm -hmm. Would that have been the reason 
potentially why the doctor asked that question or like you said he just boxes women into all this everybody wants to have a child <laughs> in that case this was not a doctor it was a sonographer mm. i think that was just an assumption and because sonographers they don't really care about you know because if you go and have a radiology scan you're mm-hmm. going to go to different places and you're going to have different people the technician is going to be different right and the technician's job is just to look at the doctor's script and the reason why the test needs to be done and just go ahead and do it and obviously during that time it helps when the sonographer is quite reassuring to the patients because really I I have worked in radiology and still currently do do a lot of work there and radiology scans are scary mm-hmm. i remember when i was uh, about 4 or 5 years old that's when i had my first x-ray of my head and being a 4 or 5 year old kid i was this was back in the day in india when healthcare machines and everything were not that well developed that was when i had my biggest first tantrum as a kid because i thought that the x-ray machine in that hospital was like a transformer i just tore the entire place apart but similarly i remember once a patient telling me an elderly patient who had an ultrasound for the first time she was very nice about it when she was giving this feedback you know she said your technician was lovely she was she really heard me out she was you know building a good rapport with me and whatever else but she was so focused on technically scanning the correct part of the body without realizing that oh the patient is actually experiencing a little bit of discomfort then the next day I, the patient rings and I, I you know I take the call and then she says I still experience a lot of discomfort in the area because of how she was punching on it or you know putting the equipment at all at the time that again is a skill that radiographers sonographers have to do not only build a rapport but also ask the patient how they're feeling giving them that reassurance that this will be okay because as i said doing a radiology scan because you have big machines and especially when you have an mri machine that terrifies patients because you're going into a tunnel and it's noisy you're there for god knows how long and that can be terrifying so again that's a skill that technicians can really benefit from not just tell them oh this is what dot points what an mri is going to entail because they can look at that on youtube so <laughs> the important thing is that the technician actually tells them that this is what i'll be doing to make sure that you have a good experience if at any point you feel discomfort let me know i'll change things yeah so that that again goes a really long way in building that trust i'm just saying this from a technician perspective but this can really right. apply to any space yeah building rapport i wonder if that pregnancy question was also a way of building rapport yeah yeah i mean <laughs> it, I, I it, it makes sorry. sense yeah yeah it makes okay. sense i mean you know for some yes over time if they if people are having that kind of scan done and again if if i go into my detail you know it was because i had cysts in my ovaries at the time and that can hinder people from having kids because it can affect your fertility mm. so this guy he just assumed that that's why he, they're having the scan because the, and maybe in the past that's what happened all these women they were having this particular scan because their intention was to get rid of those cysts and they can mm-hmm. get pregnant now for me as a as a woman who's never wanted kids it's never going to happen so i don't care if, if i'm just worried about if there's a bigger problem if i have fibroids if i have endometriosis or something that's what i'm worried about is my understanding of this scenario cuz we're using it as an example okay first of all yes when you have machines around you as they should just keep checking if you're okay if you're comfortable but mm-hmm. also yes then ask questions about the current scenario and not anything that that's relevant because it could potentially offend the patient oh totally totally okay. yeah okay mhm all right yeah. because then uh, as you said uh, sorry to interrupt you mm-hmm. it feeds into what the patient would perceive as a bias from the doctor all right go ahead 
Yeah, because I do mention this uh, at certain points in my content, this concept of medical gaslighting. And Mm -hmm. this has been quite prevalent, especially in the reproductive space. And it's not just doctors who do it. It's just anybody in that space. So what would happen is that a female patient would go to a doctor, would go to any healthcare provider and say to them, I'm experiencing really heavy abdominal pain. And I'm just concerned that I may have fibroids, I may have endometriosis. Can we just look into that? Now, that's problematic in itself because they might be self-diagnosed. We're not we're not going to go there. That Hold might on be a discussion. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a completely different issue. But what happens is in those scenarios, instead of going ahead, just for reassurance purposes, to go ahead for the scan, you know, I've heard because I'm in those communities a lot, and healthcare professionals have told these patients that, oh, if you get pregnant, your endometriosis will go. So they, they will just refuse to do the test completely because what they do is the woman's fertility is much more important than what the immediate condition that she's experiencing. So they don't want to sort of get in the way. And don't even get me started on how some healthcare providers will not give more female than male patients, give them bodily autonomy. So they will, like, for example, whether a woman has children already, doesn't want any more or doesn't want children altogether, They'll say, okay, you know, I just want to take care of this permanently. I want to get sterilized. Most uh, healthcare providers will say, no, we're not doing this because that uh, what I've if you change your mind? That they usually, yes, they usually look at your age. I'm 47. If I said that, they, they're not going to change my mind. But if they say, <laughs> if you come there and you're 21, you might mm. feel differently shorter by 25. I've yeah. heard of those scenarios saying they usually look at your age and they say, yes, I change your mind. But uh, yeah. back to the the medical gaslighting as well. We're trying, I think, in this conversation to understand both the patient side and why these healthcare professionals from non-English speaking countries act the way they do. And let's now look at solutions. What potentially could be solutions to, you've obviously started one with coaching the professionals so that they understand mm-hmm. how things are done and validating their patients, but also is there a way of bridging this communication gap? Because I feel like it's still a communication gap. Of course it is, yeah. And a, a cultural is, yeah. one, of course, in, inside that whole mix. But what, what are yes, some absolutely. solutions we can look into for these scenarios? I guess, you know, if you are in a position where, and it's more prevalent in places that are, if they're living or working in places that are more culturally diverse, if they get exposed to that a little bit more, so having the experience of working with a variety of patients, not just in terms of what conditions they're experiencing, but also the fact that every single patient is going to be from a different background, from a different culture, from a different age, etc. And also, I guess, being reflective, whether I'm as a coach, as a teacher or, or anything, for me, I am a very introspective and a reflective person. So I always make sure that I... I'm in a position that I'm learning from my uh, experiences and how I can do better. You're not only holding yourself accountable in the process, but also that will benefit you professionally. It'll help you get to a more a place of excellence, for sure. Can I ask you a question? Of how course. did you know that I should be aware of my behavior? I should reflect sometimes so I can learn from it. Is that something well, well, innately new or because of the society you grow up in, those are things that, you know, they almost become the norm or something we talked about in just in general yeah. conversations? Yeah. 
I mean, for me personally, I would just say that, you know, if I'm doing something, if I'm getting the same the same thing over and over again, if I'm getting the same feedback, I'm like, okay, something has to change. Okay. Right? Yeah, and, for sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yes. And that's the general principle. But I think a lot of people, they just go through the motions. They just assume that, okay, I just have to do my job. I just have to tick my boxes. I don't really, and I get paid for it. And I, I have the status, you know, and I don't really care about uh, me becoming better. And CEOs and C-suite executives or corporations. <laughs> yeah. 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 And yeah. it's not just them. And, you know, and okay, while you might tick a box, but at the same time, it keeps you stuck in that one little space. You don't grow, you don't evolve, you don't progress uh, mm. in other areas because you are not just doing a technical job. You're also really building a career. You are building a name for yourself in the workplace and you are doing it with the purpose of standing out. And that way, if you get these skills, your chances of progressing, not just in your area, but to other avenues as well, it, it just opens up more doors and opportunities for you. Whether it, And if you want to do it in this, uh, your current field in healthcare or anywhere else, it does benefit you. And most importantly, you're dealing with humans. That's why they call them human-centered skills, which you earlier mm-hmm. you were talking about, you know, it's about the patient, it's about the patient, it's about making sure that the patient has comfort. And as I said earlier, your work is very important because not just the language, but culturally, I think some a lot of the stuff we address in our cultures and talk about so willy-nilly as part of general conversation, they are never brought up there. Hence, I asked who made you be aware of reflecting and everything, because in those cultures, those things are hardly talked about, at least not as much as we do. Yes, 100%. So what would you suggest if a healthcare professional from a non-English speaking country listens to this conversation and they want to improve on that, the awareness, the cultural differences, being more in tune with the patients, because this is also human-centered, one or two suggestions that you might have for them? Well, obviously, finding the right coach. And I'm not saying it doesn't have to be necessarily me. It could be anybody. It could be uh, anyone who's in that space. There's countless people who do that. And I guess also being in the workplace, because a lot of them now actually provide, depending on how innovative and things they are, they provide opportunities to upskill and cross-skill and get one-on-one coaching uh, on different areas. And there are online training modules that you can take. You want to have as many skills under your tool belt as much as possible to, so that you know in every situation what you need to do. And it all comes down to having that again, without really sounding very fluid about this, having that sort of mindset that you want to grow and you want to do better, you want to show up professionally as your best self. And that's what will actually not just, you know, keep you in your current role and give you that security, but also you will get the most reward out of it in the experience as well, because a lot of people in healthcare go into it because they want to help people. They want to serve Mm, the community. That is true. And and what happens is that over time, the pressures and all the challenges that working in the space brings with it, the whole reason why they got into it in the first place, that sort of becomes a little bit diluted. Mm. So I think just reconnecting with the fact that this is why I joined this space. I'm curious about something. Do you know mm-hmm. if any of the healthcare professionals from Asian countries who moved to Australia outside of work, do mm-hmm. they socialize with the locals? in Australia and get to know more and understand more of the culture or do they just go back and socialize with people who are like them? 
It is interesting. I have actually considered making content about this, but again, sometimes I have feel like I have to walk on eggshells a little bit because I don't want to post something that's going to take people off. But then again, I mentioned so much about medical gaslighting and people have said to me that, oh, you're just throwing healthcare professionals on the bus. And no, even though I mentioned... That's not the point of this conversation. That's not the point. No. no. It's a no. learning experience for you. Yes. And while you can start off that way, especially if you have language as a barrier and you're not, you don't feel confident about speaking in English, you, you will sort of tend to gravitate amongst people of your background. Mm. And there could be religious reasons. There could be other reasons why uh, people are choosing. And there's, and there's nothing wrong in that. I think what they do socially and what they do professionally when they're, again, because professionally you don't have a choice. You're going to be working with people from everywhere. Right. That, again, can lead to a potential disconnect because they don't really have that exposure in the social sense. And I do mention that if you have things like you have an interest in uh, outside of work, whether it's cooking, whether it's music, whether it's craft or whatever it is, use that to form a community. Use that that way because that way not only do you, are you bonding on a similar interest or passion, but you're also getting exposed to people from all over the world who got, who have the same interest. You don't have to do it physically anywhere. Nowadays, nowadays with social media, there are so many groups that you can join. Mm, that's absolutely a great suggestion because then you will get to understand the different cultural nuances and ways in which people feel heard, validated, understood. I know we can go on forever this conversation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I knew it was going to be interesting because like we we both have an ESL background and have worked with ESL professionals. So hopefully you can come back another time and we can continue. That would be excellent. Yeah, uh, it's been a really a joyful experience and I would love to come back and it's been a real privilege. You are most welcome. We'd love to have because there's so much to unpack here. But before you go, where can we find mm-hmm. you on the interwebs? Sure. So I'm most active on LinkedIn. So obviously my company, Healthy Dynamics, you can just look that up. Obviously I have a profile so you can join one or the other. I post there about four times a week. I am recently going to be starting up a YouTube channel as well. We're doing more videos in the coaching space of my business. Uh, I do have a Facebook page for it, but LinkedIn is the best place to find me. Website and there's freebie as well. Opt into in order to see well, how they best communicate. Okay, I'm going to put it on the show notes. We love freebies. Thank you so much, Shweta. Yeah, lovely. Thank you so much. That was Shweta Ramkumar, who helps healthcare professionals in ESL countries improve their communication skills so that they can connect more with patients. Thank you so much for being on our show today. This has been such a wonderful conversation. Likewise, I've really enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, we should definitely do a part two at a future time. Excellent. I'm all for it. Thank you, Shweta. Likewise. Uh, Thank you so much. Thank you for joining the Speaking and Communicating podcast once again. If you have a guest that you think would be a great fit for the show, please email me and my contact details will be found on the show notes. The Speaking and Communicating podcast is part of the B Podcast Network, where there are many other podcasts that support you in being a better leader and becoming the change you want to see. To learn more about the B Podcast Network, go to bpodcastnetwork.com. Don't forget to subscribe, leave us a rating and a review on Apple and Spotify, and stay tuned for more episodes to come.